If you have your Bibles, can you turn to Luke chapter 4? Let's pray. Father, have mercy. Look upon us and grant us grace. Help us to understand the mission of Jesus and how it applies to our lives. And may we see ourselves in this story, come to realize the grace and the goodness that is in Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, this morning in our passage in Luke chapter 4, we're going to discover the mission of Jesus, what he was all about in the world as he reveals it to us. And as we do that, we have to reconcile it with the world that we currently live in because we're going to notice here in this particular passage that Jesus says some pretty amazing things. When it comes to what he came to accomplish in the world, it's, it's for the most part, amazing. And I think that sometimes we look around, if you're at all like me in any way, you can look around and sometimes what you see can start to undermine your, even your belief in what it is that Jesus came to do. It seems like you know, we're losing. You see a world sometimes full of deception, greed, war, backbiting, hypocrisy, gossip, lust, abuse, and all kinds of sexual immorality. And then, and then, you know, because, as I've said before, there's so, much, there's so many venues that feed us so much information, and often it's not how Jesus is winning in the world and the transformative lives that we see, is it? It's the mess. It's the garbage. It's how many people, it seems at times you start to count how many people are falling, how many people are ensnared and trapped in sin, how many people are, you know, abandoning uh, the faith, and how many people are falling into sexual immorality, and you just you begin to hear the news reports, because transformed lives don't always make the news reports. It's not like you get on the daily news and yeah, we got another one for you, folks. Thousands of people have turned to Christ Jesus. He's transformed their lives and set them free. When we come to this passage this morning, we realize and we're going to see that indeed that's what Jesus came to do. And it helps us put into perspective sometimes, and even in the life and the world in which we live, we have to be able to discern where the problem lies. Is the problem with Jesus and what he said he come to accomplish, or is the problem with the people and the people in the world, the people in the church, who are seemed ensnared in sin, and why is it that Jesus... Come to, said he come to deliver those people, and yet why do we find so many people trapped there? I think this morning we're going to find out why exactly. Jesus' mission and why it is we find people in that condition. Because there's, there's something that must happen, and it's pretty significant, for them to, to experience the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So to begin with, I want to, let's get a little bit of a context so we know as we jump in here where we're at. We just finished two weeks ago, we're looking at the temptation of Jesus in the first part of Luke chapter 4. And then it starts in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
Well, the reason why a report, it says here, a report about him went out through all the surrounding country is because we have a teacher, we have Jesus showing up in the power of the Spirit, it says. He crosses the Jordan, moves into this region, and he starts to teach in their synagogues. Teach in a way that's striking, shocking, authoritative, commanding attention. People are going, who is this guy? Not only that, we have a guy who goes and shows up and he's performing miracles. Now, if you want to get attention, just start healing people who are sick. You know, if you walk through the cancer ward of a hospital and you all of a sudden get out of bed, get out of bed, you know, walk out of here and everyone's healed, you think you're going to get some attention? You're going to get some national attention. Big time attention. So Jesus has got some attention here. He's, his fame is growing. It said actually at the end of verse 15, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And then in verse 16, we're given a snapshot of what Jesus' ministry looks like. It says, and he came to Nazareth. In verse 16. Now, why did he come to Nazareth? Well, that's his hometown. And this is significant. And why do you think Luke chose this particular incident to highlight? I think for several reasons. One, it is Jesus' hometown. Two, it's the first time that we notice that he isn't being glorified by all, but he runs into conflict. This is where the persecution begins against him because he says some pretty harsh things that we'll see next week. And third, it's a great synopsis of what it is Jesus taught when he went into the synagogues. It's a great picture of what it is that Jesus was all about preaching and teaching. And so this is why we have this snapshot in Nazareth. A lot of scholars say that it's probably been about a year in his ministry before he gets to this point where he comes to Nazareth. And this is why he's, he's got this reputation throughout the region. His report went out about him throughout the surrounding areas because he's been teaching and healing as he's, as he's gone on. And now he arrives here in Nazareth, and we get this window of what's going on. And the first thing we discover about Jesus and his mission, as we look at verse 16, this is what happens. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, so we know what he's doing. This was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Customarily, every Sabbath, where would you find Jesus? You'd find him in a synagogue. And because he was recognized as a a teacher, a rabbi, they would allow him to speak. And he taught there. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. Verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So the attendant grabs the scroll, and there, you know, Isaiah would be in a roll, a big roll. It's called a scroll. Here's Isaiah, and he hands him Isaiah, and it says that, and the scroll, was given him, and he unrolled the scroll, and guess what place he found in the scroll? He unrolls it, and he's looking, and he finds the place that he wants, he's specifically looking for, because he wants to tell them something. Scrolls, opens the scroll, looks down, finds Isaiah 61, where it is written, it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor. Now, I just want to look at this first section first. Part of Jesus' mission. He's saying, the Lord has anointed me. Isaiah 61. And if we read down further, he gives the scroll back to the attendant. He sits down. He tells them, 
This is fulfilled in your hearing now. It's now. Now, these people are not ignorant. They know what's going on. They're, they're anticipating, expecting Messiah, and Jesus is basically telling them, I'm him. I'm Messiah. But I want us to look at what he says here. He says he was sent to preach or proclaim good news to the poor. The question I have is this. Who are the poor? It can't be the physically poor he's talking about here. Otherwise, it would, admit, it would have to mean that all the poor people in the world hear the good news, and it's for them and them alone. But that's not true, is it? Because it, it would also mean that all the people with money who are wealthy or rich have no chance of entering the kingdom. Because why? Riches disqualify you from being poor. And so if they proclaim the good news to the poor, well, it couldn't be the physically poor, or else anybody with any kind of means, everybody in America is out. We're not considered biblically poor. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it adds a qualifier to the issue of poor that I think Jesus is getting at. There it says, the poor in spirit. And I'm convinced this is what it's meant by the word poor. And I say this because of passages like Isaiah 66, 22, which says, there are the one, These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. We have to remember, King David was uber wealthy. Uber wealthy. And what did King David say in Psalm 51 when he was... He had sinned grievously, and it's a psalm of repentance. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. When Jesus says he's come to proclaim good news to the poor, he's not talking about the physically poor. He's talking about the poor in spirit, the humble, the broken, the contrite. And we have to realize, throughout the Gospels, one thing we're going to see about Jesus, he, ought, he doesn't always speak clearly and plainly. He will use figures of speech. He'll use parables. He'll use exaggeration. He'll, he'll speak in enigmas. And as he, told, as he told his disciples, actually, he says, I speak this way often so that those who have ears don't, who don't have ears can't hear. And those who can't see don't see. To fill the prophecy in Isaiah, he says. However, the meaning of what Jesus means here to proclaim good news to the poor is evident when we examine Scripture with Scripture. So back to this idea about proclaiming good news to the poor. The next question I have, so who are the poor, the poor in spirit? The next question is, what is this good news? What's the good news to these people that he proclaims? Well, the good news is that these people, the poor, will be saved. They'll be lifted up. They'll be given riches that the world knows nothing of. They'll be, they'll be the ones forgiven. As Jesus said in Matthew 5, once again, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then what does he say? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they're the ones, they're the ones who enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
So when someone is humbled and broken, and they're looking for hope and for help, Jesus has good news for them. Good news. He will lift them up and save them. If you're here today and you know Jesus, do you realize that when you see somebody broken and hopeless, contrite, their spirit crushed, you have good news for them? Do you realize that? And it's really, really simple. You don't need a theology degree. You don't need a special lesson. You don't need to figure out, okay, now if if I see someone like that, how should I minister to them? You don't think, you know, you should probably go talk to a pastor. You don't need any of that because you know. Do you know what you know? You know Jesus. And it's really simple. Cry out to Jesus and look to him alone to save you. And he will. He will. That's it. It's not like there's a bunch of technique. There's not like there's a whole bunch to say. It's not like you have to pepper them with a bunch of scripture verses. You just have to know that there's one person and one person alone who can save and if someone's broken and they're contrite and they're looking for hope and for answers, that, you, do you realize you possess the answer? You have good news to tell them. Jesus saves. It's really simple. What should I do? I, I got some advice to you. Turn to Jesus. And if you will cry out to him and turn to him, he will save you. You all possess this. You know, you've heard, you know. You have, you have good news for the world. You have good news for anybody who's broken and contrite. And this is, this is what Jesus truly came to do. But you know what, Jesus also, there's more to it. So the poor have good news proclaimed to them. And he goes on to say, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus was sent to bring liberty to another word we could say prisoners. That's who the captives are. They're prisoners. But we know, know what else? These prisoners are not just, they're not physical prisoners. That's the thing we've got to get used to understanding here. Jesus speaks about prisoners. And now he doesn't mean the guy who's in prison because if that were the case, then, well, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the... Then you'd go off to everybody in, in the prisons and, and say, Jesus uh, has set you free, leave. They'd all be flooding the streets, right? Say, this is what Jesus was talking about. You know, that's not what he's talking about. There is a prisoner that he's referring to that we all can relate to. The one enslaved, ensnared, entrapped, imprisoned to his own lust, to his own passions, to sin, to death, and to the devil. These three are our great enemies, and all of humanity has, has become very familiar with them, very familiar knowing and understanding the power of sin. Have you ever been sucked into Sin. 
Yes, you have. You've been tempted. You've known what it's like to be tempted. And then you've, you've went and you've tasted and you felt... You, sometimes it's like being overwhelmed and overpowered, like there's, like there's nothing you can do, and you fall headlong. And if you've ever been ensnared in sin, entrapped in sin, you realize that you're powerless. You're powerless to get yourself free. The person who's ever been there, they know exactly what Paul was talking about when he said in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Who? We have to understand that there's a person who loves the chains and has learned to live with them. And then there's a person who hates the chains but is unwilling to part with them. And then there's the person who hates the chains and cries out and wants nothing but to be free from them. It's only that person who will know the liberty Jesus is proclaiming. So if you look around, you see plenty of people who, who are not who are not experiencing freedom and even confess with one side of their mouth that, yeah, yeah, I, I tried the Jesus thing. Or I called out to him and he didn't save me. Well, no, you're a hypocrite. Because you, in the, you were calling out, but you still were longing and looking to hold on to little precious. You couldn't let go. You didn't want to let go. So you hate your chains and you love them all at the same time. You can't have it that way. Jesus proclaims liberty to the captives, to those who know they're imprisoned. To those who come to that place with all sincerity in their heart that they say, I am a captive unless you, Lord Jesus, free me. I am dead. Those he frees. As Jesus put it in John 12, 25, He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So when we ask why there are so many people today held captive by their sin, the reason is this. They haven't come to the point where they are poor in spirit and realize that they're prisoners to their own sin and they can't save themselves. A person who continues to struggle, who continues to make resolutions, who continues to try and, and free themselves. I'm going to be different this year. Things are going to change. I'm going to change. They're constantly telling themselves this. They perpetually find that they can't. They can't. And it won't be until they make the great confession of their utter captivity and bondage that they find salvation. You know, this is why in the 12 Steps AA program, do you realize what the number one step is? And, you know, this was this program, I've, I've researched it a bit, and, and it started as this faithful Christian man understanding a bit about how people walk out of bondage. The very first step, the very thing you must admit, is this. This is how it's word, worded. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. So the very first step a person had to take was admitting that they were powerless. They were prisoners. In other words, that I'm in total bondage 
You know, that might sound like an easy step. Well, it's an easy step. Just have to admit that I'm powerless and my life's a disaster, train wreck, unmanageable. But it's the one step that people can't make. Insincerity. Unless the grace of God awakens them to see their desperate plight. To truly see that they are prisoners. To get somebody to come to that point where they are just desperate. And what they are as they see themselves is in bondage. And with all sincerity they say that. That's the difference maker. It allows them to keep moving through the process. Because think of it. When was emitting defeat victory? The world doesn't function like that. The world doesn't operate that way. You don't get victory by admitting defeat. But God turns everything upside down, doesn't he? And with Jesus, he says, I, pro- I proclaim good news to the poor, and he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. I tell you what, a captive, somebody who's a slave to sin, if they will cry out with all sincerity to Jesus, and all they have to say is, help, save me. It's really simple. Cry out. And you know what Jesus will do? He will save. More people than we can be, than can be counted have cried out to him and they've found him to be true. He truly liberates the captives. At the same time, there's so many people who are enslaved and ensnared by sin. And you know what they refuse to do? They refuse to come to the other end of themselves and cry out. They keep on trying. They're going to do better next time, aren't they? That's hogwash. You're a slave. You're a prisoner. And your only freedom, your own, the only answer, the only help, the only one who can save is Jesus. This is what he's come to do. But he also came to do something else as well. And he says in the second part of that, and recovery of sight to the blind. And once again, blindness here isn't referring to physical blindness. Exactly. Even though Jesus did heal a bunch of blind people, that's true, he did. The blindness Jesus is referring to is that spiritual blindness. For example, in Matthew 15, 13 through 14, Jesus says of the Pharisees, Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Well, what do we know about these Pharisees? They weren't blind physically, were they? He calls them blind men. Blind leading the blind. And if they realized their blindness, then Jesus would have given them sight. As he states in Matthew 13, verses 10 through 16. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to to them in parables? This is what I was referring to earlier. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, 
You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart have grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts in turn. Listen to what he says. Uh, And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. He came to give sight to the blind, to heal them. The blind. To those who know they can't see. To those who know they're in darkness. To those who know they're lost. This is who he came to. And here's the thing about being blind. To those who have no awareness of it. They think they have it all together. They think they understand. They think that they're the ones who should be teaching. That is why Jesus said they're the blind leading the blind. (laughs) They don't get it. They don't see their own predicament. They're blind and they think they see. But Jesus came to give sight to those, and here, listen to this, who? To those who know they're blind. Those who realize their blindness. Who need sight. Those who can't figure it out. We see a pattern here? The broken, the imprisoned, the blind, who know they need sight. Those who can't figure it out, those are the ones Jesus came to heal. So as you can see, broken, blind, imprisoned, imbeciles. Those are the ones Jesus came to save. The the ones at the bottom. The ones who just, they've got nothing left. And now, what what an amazing gift. The gift of realization. Of understanding that we're, we're naked and imprisoned and blind and in a desperate need. That to come to that place brings you right back to the beginning. And when you realize that, you become poor in spirit. And God can't resist. That's a gift from God that he delights in, that he saves and delivers. And lastly, there's this other group here that I think it's important that we note as well. It says, To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in Jesus' day, when he said this, the oppressed were everywhere. Because there's major class distinctions. There's only a few wealthy, and there's a ton of people who had to enslave themselves in order to get enough food to eat for, for them and their families. And in that particular situation, the wealthy could so easily take advantage of these people and oppress them. Because an oppressed person was paid too little and worked too much 
and in a situation that they could never get out of. I've explained this before. If you hold somebody in a situation, okay, there's, there's not enough work for people, too few people who have the ability to, to employ, and so when there's all these people who need some kind of income for their families, and there's very few places to, to get that income from, do you know what that creates? Supply-demand situation, right? <laughs> And now you have to, if you want to get any at all, you have to be willing to do it less from the guy next to you. And so you take it at a significant loss. So at least you get a morsel. So now we can buy some bread and divvy it up amongst the family and we can get a little bit. But never enough, never enough to, to get ahead. Never enough to get on top of things. Never enough to advance forward. In that scenario, the wealthy can so easily take advantage of you. They become more wealthy and they can oppress you push you down and abuse you in that situation because you're so vulnerable. There's nothing you can do. You can't get out of it either. So many would sell themselves into slavery just, just so that their families could maybe get some food. And it's, a, it's a horrible situation where these oppressed were everywhere. And these uber-wealthy just kept on taking advantage of it. It was, because to, it was to their advantage. And this is what Jesus proclaims to them. Liberty to those who are oppressed. The year of the Lord's favor. Now that expression, the year of the Lord's favor, that's referring to the year of Jubilee. That was a common expression used. The year of the Lord's favor was referring to that year of Jubilee. And what that was all about is like seven cycles of seven. After seven cycles of seven years, in the 49th year, a horn was to be blown in all of Israel. And this was the year of Jubilee. And you know what happened? It's the most ama- it was like the most amazing picture of salvation that you could ever imagine. All debts were canceled. All slaves were set free. Those who had lost their lands and, and through all kinds of bad financial deals, you could be a total moron and idiot. And by God's grace and grace alone, you were set free. It was like hitting the big reset button. <laughs> Fresh start, deliverance, freedom. This was jubilee, freedom for, for all the captives. It never happened in Israel. Of course not, right? Too economically damaging for those who are doing so well. But this was, this was part of the law. They were commanded to do this. Never did it. And Jesus comes proclaiming it. I'm here to set the oppressed free. Those who are under the slave master, the taskmaster. Truly the great picture of salvation. Can you imagine? No matter how much you screwed up, no matter how much of a moron you were, no matter how many bad decisions you made, no matter how far down, you could be reset. (laughs) Get your land back. Get out of slavery have your debts forgiven. Fresh start. Whew. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does with these people who are oppressed, held down by sin, by death, by the devil, and feeling like, who will free me? I can't get loose. Jesus comes to do that.
And you know what's amazing? In all of these situations, in all of these particular cases, the poor, the blind, the oppressed, the prisoners, do you know what's so amazing about it? Is that there's no hope for anybody who doesn't see themselves there. None. He didn't come for good people. What did he say? It's not the righteous that I've come for, but the unrighteous. That's why he came. You know, we could be sitting here this morning, and we could be sitting trying to impress God, to please God, to show him that we're really something else. And you know what? It's easy for us to become, we could slip into becoming a Pharisee. And you know how you do that? You start comparing yourselves to others. The wicked world out there. If you compare yourself long enough, you've been in the church for a while, you know what? Your heart can be somewhat callous to those wicked people out there. You, you know, can't believe what they do. And it's easy to compare. You can find a whole bunch of people to compare yourself to. And say, man, at least, I, at least I don't say what they say. At least I don't do what they do. I, I've never even, heck, there's people murdering and raping and doing all kinds of gross, disgusting things. And we can, we can make a laundry list of what people do. And, and, and the Lord has saved you for so much. It's been so long that you look back and you start to disdain those people. You're like, ew, I can't believe it. We've forgotten if that's the case, totally forgotten. Tell you what, Jesus didn't come to find a bunch of saints that he could congratulate. He came to find a bunch of sinners that he can make saints. You want to know his mission? You want to know who he's looking for? Do you want to know the people that he's after? It's right here. The poor in spirit, the imprisoned, the blind, the oppressed, the losers, the ones who cannot do it themselves. I can't. If your confidence before God comes from your good track record, you're in trouble. Your confidence before God has got to come from what Jesus has done. It. He's the, he is the one that saves wretched, blind, poor, imprisoned people. And when we get this, do you know what kind of people it turns us into? Thankful people. Thankful. I have so much more than I deserve. I can't believe the blessings. If I just look at myself, who I was, and what, is, what I really had coming to me, and who I would be apart from him? Do you realize the miserable, the miserable slime ball I would be? If, if, if he was not gracious and kind to me, 
If I had not called out to him, if he had not revealed to me my blindness, my, my imprisonment, my poverty, my sickness, my, the loathing of my own disgusting self, I'd be lost still. I'd be worse than the rest of them. To all of us, to any of us, who have pharisaical tendencies. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 3. When he refers to Israel that wasn't getting it, he says this, For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Wow. Wow. What was Jesus' mission? What, was Je- what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came to proclaim, to tell everybody who's broken and contrite that I will save. To all those who are imprisoned in in their sin and in the snares of the devil that he will liberate and set free. To all those who are blind and they can't see, but what they recognize is that they are blind and can't see. Healing. And to the oppressed and those who are just feeling like they're under it. The year of Jubilee. You're free. Folks, this is the the, the best news that we could ever have. But it's only good news for losers. It's only good news for those who understand it. It's It's not general good news. We have no good news. We have no good news for anybody out there who doesn't understand that they're wretched, blind, poor, miserable, enslaved, and need desperate help. But anybody, anybody who realize how blind and miserable and imprisoned and oppressed and broken they are, I tell you what, we have good news, don't we? Good news. I've got good news for you. And it's not complicated. Cry out to Jesus. That's what he came for. That's his whole mission. And he's doing that today. Oh, may God open our eyes and people's eyes and help us help them to see their state. Because that's the most important. If they could come to understand their state, who they are and where they're at, they would cry out to Jesus with sincerity of heart and find him to be a Savior. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. For I know that apart from him, I am nothing. Apart from your grace, oh, how miserable and wretched I am. Apart from the salvation that is in Jesus, all the chains, the blindness. But blessed be your name forever, for you've raised us from the grave. You've saved, you've delivered. 
And may we be messengers of hope in the world, knowing that their only hope is Jesus. Blessed be your name forever. Amen.